with your soul. How is it with your soul? It probably sounds like a bit of an old-fashioned question. And in the past, when this question was asked, it was often an inquiry into whether you had had a conversion experience. Did you come to recognize your sin, acknowledge the Lord Jesus as your Savior, and are you now living your life in thankfulness for that salvation? And that question fitted very well with the doctrinal emphasis since the Reformation on the triad of guilt, grace, and gratitude, which you can find in the Confessions, most notably in the Heidelberg Catechism. But around us today, it, there is more of a quest for spirituality, the seeking of inner peace, serenity, of reconciliation and understanding. Often also non-religious, there is the spirituality of golf, of the AA, of Buddha and Nirvana, and probably of Gwyneth Paltrow. And it is a reflection of the fact that human beings being created in the image of God long for more than material satisfaction. Of course, for many, the pursuit of wealth and pleasure seems to be all there is, and they pursue it with ruthless vigor and exclusive determination. But many others feel the need for more, for inner peace, with themselves, for an understanding of the why and the what for of their lives, for a reconciliation with their fate and destiny. And it was St. Augustine who, having lived the life of a hedonistic hooligan, after turning to faith, said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and therefore our hearts are restless in us until they rest in you. And that is the question for our reflection this evening. How do we find rest in God? I assume that most of us subscribe to the Reformed doctrine of guilt, grace, and gratitude. But the Bible is a multifaceted word of God that can never be captured in doctrines and confessions. And even that most doctrinal of apostles, Paul, wrote the things that we were reading earlier, and he wrote more. Galatians 5, live with the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Colossians 3, seek the things that above where Christ is, and focus your mind, zoom in, as it were, on the things above. And then maybe not Paul in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, fix your gaze on the founder and the perfecter of your faith, Jesus. Maybe the better Paul became at articulating the teaching of Christ, the more he understood God's word and his actions can never be completely captured in doctrinal language. I was told that the word mystery is used 27 times in the New Testament, of which 22 times by Paul. 
And indeed, what does it mean? Living in Christ. Living with the Spirit. Seeking things above. Fixing our gaze on Jesus. And do we experience the presence of a living and personal God in our lives? And do we meet him in the uplit highlands and encounter him in the dark alleys of our lives? And do we long for and achieve the rest of our heart in God that Augustine was speaking about? And do we enjoy the contentment of the the weaned child of Psalm 131? Experience the tranquility of the flock, feeling safe with the shepherd. Do we rejoice in the peace of God that transcends all understanding from Philippians 4? And do we know the serenity of being forgiven and right with God? which was the topic of our meditations on Psalm 2 and 51. And do we know the absence of worry, like the lilies in the field? Do you? When the children were young, there was a story around about Moki the cat. This was a farmyard cat, who was supposed to live of the mice and the vermin of the farm. And only at night it was fed outside to the kitchen door. And then the days came when the cat would forget it had been fed. And Moki would sit and stare and wait at the door, willing for the food that wouldn't come again, thinking dark thoughts in the dark night, And so it can be in our lives. Or maybe it is the very opposite. We feel energetic. We are addressing crises. We're solving problems. And we're rushing about. There is the career. There is the family to be carted everywhere. There is the church doing many things, organizing other things. And we are beavering away, always busy, busy, busy. But there is no but for peace, no space. And for meditation, there is no time. But what about it then? Your contemplation of God, your being in Christ, your gazing at the Lord. What about your Christian spirituality, your contentment in Christ and your rest in God? And as solid Presbyterians, do we have not only a sound logical understanding of doctrine, but also an emotional connection with our shepherd? Do we reason and contemplate? Or do we separate the intellectual study of divinely revealed truth from contemplative experience of that truth, as if they have little to do with each other? Do we think that theology and spirituality are mutually exclusive categories? Like mysticism is for the saintly woman and the theological study more for the practical but somewhat unsaintly man. This 
said Thomas Merton, who was a monk, most fallacious division perhaps explains much of that is actually lacking in both theology and spirituality, because the two belong together. And unless they are united, there is no fervor, no life, no spiritual value in theology. It's beached. And no substance and no meaning and no sure orientation in the contemplative life. It is adrift. Now, if as a staunchly reformed believer in guilt, grace, and gratitude, you wonder whether this isn't becoming a little bit too airy-fairy and too esoteric, then do not worry. Because our pursuit of Christian spirituality will take a very pedestrian approach. In fact, we will follow in the footsteps of the Old Testament pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem, to the temple of Yahweh, into the presence of God, to worship and to celebrate. Now the songs of ascent, or the pilgrim, the pilgrimage psalms, are a group of 15 psalms in Book 5, 120 to 134. And many theories have been put forward as to the historical context. Maybe it came from a liturgy at the temple, 15 steps of some stairway, and some occasions the priests and other the, the pilgrims singing various parts. Or maybe this was for the going up to the Feast of Tabernacles in 445 before Christ of Ezra and Nehemiah. But none of them is very compelling. And the only thing that seems to be clear to me is that the post-exilic composer of the Book of Psalms selected a collection of psalms to be sung at the regular journey to Jerusalem for one of the religious feasts. And such a journey might start in the Shefala, the foothills towards the coast where the Philistines were, or down in Galilee where the Jews and the Gentiles mixed, or even in Babylon. In all cases, the journey would literally go up, since Jerusalem was situated, still is, in the Judean mountains, and presumably also spiritually go up, as they increasingly were able to turn their mind from the daily grind they left behind to the upcoming meeting with the Lord in his temple. And hence the Hebrew name, Songs of Going Up, up from the misery of Meshech to the joy of Jerusalem. Now this would have been a journey that in the long run overall went up, but with ups and downs. A road where maybe at some point you could see the top of Mount Zion, but not the depths of the valleys in between. An arduous journey, but going to the feasts, to the celebration at the temple. The temple, historically the house Solomon built for the Lord in the city of David, and spiritually the footstool of the Lord in Zion, the representation of his presence in their midst. And so our reflection this evening will be on the songs of ascent for your journeys through life. 
and on our journey into the presence of God to worship and celebrate. And we will make first the pilgrimage, following the Psalms of Ascent, very briefly, of course, and then consider some of the road markers on that journey. And in doing so, you will note four milestones. The strife in Psalm 120, the salvation in Psalm 130, the security and the safety in Psalm 121, and then the summit of praise and prayer in Psalm 134. So the songs of ascent for your journey through life we will make the pilgrimage and then note the four miles, the strife, the salvation, the security or safety, and then the summit. So since we couldn't read them all, please keep your Bibles open and come with me on the journey through the songs of ascent, on the pilgrimage from the strife of life into the presence of God, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. So first then, Psalm 120, page 516. It is here that our journey starts, in the strife of life, in crisis and distress, and in pressures, antagonism, and distractions of the surrounding society. Maybe physically in Galilee, or in the Shephala, or even Babylon, and poetically, from the midst of daily life, also here in the metropolis of London. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. The verses describes the surroundings, lying and deceitfulness, often an expression of social aggression and exclusion, and hating peace and wanting war unprovoked hostility and violence. It feels like living away, living in faraway, unhospitable, desert-like lands, here described as Meshech and Kedar. But also note already two things, the goal and the trust. The goal of the pilgrim is peace, shalom, wholesomeness, general well-being, that is what he, or of course she, although for convenience I will use the word he, is longing for when he says, too long have I lived. Too long have I lived among those who hate me. The quest for Shalom makes that the psalmist becomes a pilgrim and now he needs to muster the courage to embark on that journey, to go on that pilgrimage by trusting in and calling on the Lord, verse 1, and knowing that the Lord will deal with the deceitful tongue, as he says in the verses 3 to 4. Because the Lord can guide the sojourner, for that is what the traveler is on his way. So that is the lesson of the first song of ascent. When you have lived too long in the strife of life, Call on the Lord and get ready to make your pilgrimage. 
And then having described the starting point, the next song now tells us the journey out of the strife is about to start and how the pilgrim musters his courage. Psalm 121. The psalmist tears his mind away from the daily grind and he looks up from the surrounding misery and he considers the hills and the mountains in the distance. Are these hills the hill country of Judea where Jerusalem lies? Or are they the threatening dangerous heights that he will have to traverse? Or are they the lofty calming altitudes away from that miserable starting point? Well, the poetic text is ambiguous, and we may read in them a reflection of our actual situation in life as we set out on our journey. But what is unambiguous, probably the most important character or letter in the psalm, is the question mark at the end of verse 1. And the Scottish Psalter misses it, and so it misses the point of the psalm. Because... Without the question mark, the help would come from the mountains, tranquil, refuge. But here they raise the question on your journey to him. And what is the answer? The help comes from the Lord. That is the message of the poet. If you are starting out on your journey to him, the God residing in Jerusalem, he will keep you. And that is how the traveler musters his courage for that journey. And that imagery is then continued in the verses 3, 5, 7, and 8. And in every phase of the journey, the refrain of this psalm is that he will guard you. He will watch out over you. So the Lord to which Psalm 120 had turned is here in Psalm 121, the maker of heaven and earth and the watcher over Israel, the sovereign creator and the covenant Lord. And in this psalm, the psalm turns from a meditation of the traveler to a direct address to you and me. Because on your journey, the Lord will watch over you. Singular pronouns, always, day and night, without sleep or slumber. And that is the lesson of the second, Song of Ascent. On your journey to him, he will watch over you and not let your foot slip. And now, having been assured that the Lord provides safety and security during the journey in Psalm 121, the pilgrim now turns his attention to the destination, to Jerusalem. Psalm 122. And joyfully, the journey starts when he thinks about that destination, Jerusalem. Verse 2 suggests that he knows the city, probably from earlier visits for the feasts in years gone by. Like we may remember the times that we were spending more time with the Lord and had a more intense experience of being close to our Heavenly Father. And on this travel, he is spurned on by the desire for peace and togetherness. Compactly built can mean a safe, sound fortress providing security or the safety and security of the social cohesion of the tribes going up together. Congregational fellowship, in a way. As usual, the psalm is polyvalent. 
and it allows for both interpretations to, to suit our actual situation. But over and beyond that, the psalm equates Jerusalem with the house of God in verse 1 and verse 8. And the pilgrim anticipates the joy of the spatial and liturgical nearness of the presence of God, of his face shining over us. And the unity and the justice and the peace the sojourner was sorely missing in Psalm 120, he expects and prays to find in the presence of the Lord. There, tells verse 5, the, the justice will be finally done and peace will prevail. So that is the, third, the lesson of the third song of ascent in Jerusalem. In other words, in the presence of the Lord, unity, justice and peace are beckoning the traveler. And so full of joy and confidence he is looking forward. But that journey is not one straight line up. That is what we discover in the next song. Psalm 123. Once I was on the beach with the wind inland and already a strong swell. The breaking waves of the surf were rising swiftly and high. And a swimmer was wading towards the beach, coming up out of the water. But behind him, a high wave rose fast from nowhere, and it overwhelmed him until it ran past him, and he sputteringly surfaced behind it. Something like that overcomes the pilgrim on this journey. He is nearly overwhelmed by the memories of his starting point. You can read it in the verses 3b and 4. For we have had more than enough of contempt, and our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. But note that notwithstanding this setback, there is also progress. Because yet earlier in Psalm 121 expressed his con the confidence that the Lord would keep him on the way, and here he starts the psalm with expressing that confidence when he looks to God for support in the verses 1 to 3a. And that is the lesson of the fourth song of ascent. Overtaken on the journey by bad memories of the past, as we so often can be, he looks to the throne in heaven for protection that the, masters, that the Master gives. So yes, this, the pilgrim was nearly overtaken by oppressing memories of his starting point in this psalm. And it wasn't over quickly and immediately. But in the end, he did get away. And that is what we also see in the next psalm, Psalm 124. In this psalm, he reports the outcome of his prayer. They, plural, could easily have been overwhelmed. He is now speaking with his fellow travelers. And in these verses, the first four verses in Psalm 124, the imagery is one of being engulfed by water, like we have seen pictures of a tsunami. But they were engulfed, but not overwhelmed. And his prayer of Psalm 123 is now turning into praise as his prayer is heard as we can see in Psalm 124, the verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, 
who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. And in and through the adversity encountered on the journey, he is reaffirming his faith in the sovereign creator of this world as his help. The last verse of the psalm. For the Almighty has saved the pilgrim from the fowler snare, whatever the snare was for him and whatever it may be for you and me. That is the lesson of the fifth song of, of ascent. The contempt and the hostility may be rising high, but the gracious of God, the master whose throne is in heaven, he will set us free. And now, having come through this nearly being overwhelmed experience on his journey, the pilgrim now pauses, as it were, for reflection, a meditation on the security for those who trust in the Lord when encountering evil. And if we look at Psalm 125, we'll see that the safety and the security for those who on their pilgrimage through life trust the Lord is compared with, is expressed in a simile with the security of Zion, the city they are traveling towards. Zion is a fortress on a mountain, and it is surrounded by mountains, like protecting ramparts. And like these mountains protect the city, so the Lord protects those who trust in him. And we should note that the psalmist is convinced of it, and praying for it. These go hand in hand. The affirmation of his security is followed by the supplication for it. And the memories of Meshach and Kedar are still there. But the wicked, the evildoers, we now read, those who turned on crooked ways, who made the life difficult, they will not prevail, lest the righteous might succumb and fall in with them. So the lesson of the sixth ascent, the song of ascent, is about safety on the journey. We are certain of it, verse 3, and have to pray for it, verses 4 and 5. In that attitude, we travel. And as the pilgrim travels on, he, experiencing and anticipating the ups and downs of this journey, he considers now also the ups and downs of Jerusalem. And he reflects on how this city that had forsaken God and was abandoned had after the exile been restored by God. Psalm 126. The psalm is probably post-exilic, and it knows that the remnant has returned. And in the midst of the misery, for the psalm is probably the exile, and in the midst of life where God seems absent, as it may appear to us at times, it is only God who can transform our life. Like the dry wadis, says our psalm, in the Negev, can only be filled with water by God and so transform the land with abundant growth. Like the precious seed, which the sower parts with weepingly for it falls to the earth to die, can only be transformed into harvest by God. And the psalmist, now speaking with or for the community of his fellow travelers, remembers joyfully such transformation by God who keeps his promises when he returned the captives to Zion. God did restore 
their fortunes after weeping. And so the lesson of the seventh song of ascent, it is the joyful, the very joyful recollection of God's faithfulness demonstrated in Jerusalem's history that comforts the pilgrims in their prayer for continued support, even when further adversity, because the sowing in tears will be there in the future, is expected to lie ahead on that journey. And now, having come to the midpoint of the journey, the traveler pauses, sharing with us some words of wisdom, insights he gained on the journey so far. The language is reminiscent of Proverbs, also written by Solomon. Now, when during the week you look outside this building, you can see the great throng of people rushing about their endeavors. But the pilgrim has now come a long way away from the restless toil and trouble from the starting point. And in a wordplay between builders, Bonim, and sons, Banim, he considers that without the decisive blessing of God, man's efforts, whether to create buildings, families, or empires, are in vain. And like vanity echoed around in Ecclesiastes, here it is in vain, in vain. The psalm is attributed to Solomon. And Zion, the pilgrim's destination, is the David city, as we could read in Psalm 122. And Solomon was the builder of God's house, the physical structure of the temple, the footstool of God on earth. And he was also the continuation of the dynasty, the house the Lord promised to David, leading to the Messiah. And as David was told in 2 Samuel 7, it is in life not us achieving, but God giving, like he does to the lilies of the field. And in our psalm, verse 2b is poetically ambiguous. It could be God gives sleep or rest to those he loves, or it could be he gives while the laborers he loves sleep, out without any contribution from their side. But you see, either way, the lesson of this eighth throng of ascent that the pilgrim has learned on the journey so far is that in life it is not us achieving, but God giving. And then he spells out this conclusion, the conclusion of these words of wisdom further in the next companion psalm, Psalm 128. The psalm has two parts. There is a beatitude and a benediction. The beatitude starts in verse 1 and concludes in verse 4 with the lesson learned. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Well doing and doing well. The way life is lived and the way life is enjoyed are interdependent. Blessing in life follows fearing God. Now, fearing God is not being afraid of him, but fearing God is walking with him. 
And in the verses 2 and 3, the Beatitude addresses itself directly to you and to me. Olives and vines were the symbols of well-being. And what it says is that fruitful work and fruitful family that you are pursuing are a blessing from the Lord. And in the concluding benediction, that is what the pilgrim wishes for his fellow travelers in the present and in the future. So the lesson of the ninth song of ascent is that shalom in life is down to walking with God and to his blessing. So continue your journey towards him. But on this pilgrim's journey, on our journey, the escape from the ties and the distractions and the challenges and the worries of this world remains a difficult and protracted one. As again we find in the next psalm, Psalm 129. Because it is like another of those waves rising from behind overtaking the swimmer coming out of the water. Only here the imagery is land-based. The oppressors in the verses 1 and 2 are plowing furrows, long furrows in his back, verse 3. What the challenges were, the poem doesn't spell out. And every reader in every time and every place can fill in the own experience. But, 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 in verse <coughs> 2b and 4. The Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords of the wicked. And in 2b yet they have not prevailed against me. And so the challenges are always met with the Lord's support, here reported and confirmed again. And this conclusion in this psalm is followed by a precatory prayer, where in Psalm 128 the prayer was, May the Lord bless those journeying towards him. Now the prayer is regarding those who oppress the pilgrims, those who detest him, who hate Zion. And the prayer is that they may dry out like grass on the roof. Well, with the weather we had, you can imagine what that would result in. And so the lesson of the tenth song of ascent is that en route, the ways are parting. And the parties are separated. Because God is righteous and the oppressors will wither. But then, after several ups and downs along this road, we now reach one of the deepest ravines and the steepest valleys in the the pilgrim on his way to the presence of the Lord needs to cross. It is like the peak is already visible, but between there and here, there is the surprise of sinking ground, a chasm to be crossed. And the focus now shifts from roadblocks by adversarial others, contempt, oppression, and so on, to the sinful self as the largest hurdle in the approach to God. And the psalm consists of four parts. The first one, the verses 1 1 and 2, a petition is to be heard, an intense cry from the depths. But what depths? 
Well, the second part in the verses 3 to 4 give the answer. No longer are the depths the adversity of the surrounding world because these were being gradually overcome. They are now the depths of sin from which the Lord saves. Because nobody could stand if the Lord were only watching for our sin. But in great relief, the psalmist expresses this concise certainty. With you is forgiveness. And then in the third part, the journeyer towards Jerusalem gives us his confession of faith. Now you may associate confessions of faith with long documents with a lot of theological language. But here there is a complete confession of faith. I wait for the Lord. In his word and promise, I put my hope. Wait and hope like watchmen for the morning. There are the black surroundings, the tiring hours, the fighting to stay awake, and the threatening danger that may lurk in the dark. But for the watchman, there is also the certainty morning will come unstoppably. And the word pair, waiting, hoping, indicates that this is not a passing of the time in uncertainty, but a confident longing for what is to come. And then the last part is the concluding exhortation and encouragement for the fellow travelers to share in this hope and in this longing. And for the Old Testament, the text here is unusually eschatological and far-reaching. With him is full redemption. Redemption for Israel, the Lord's community, from all their sins. And so there is the lesson of the 11th Song of Ascent. No matter what the depths of our sin, the Lord, whom we are on our way to meet, will forgive. And in that confidence, you can continue your journey. And now the hurdle of this deep valley has been taken, and confession has been made, and forgiveness is assured. Now we are getting close to the rest and the contentment in our approach to the Lord, as indeed we read in the next psalm, Psalm 131. Because ascending on the other side of that deep valley of Psalm 130, the pilgrim has now reached a plateau of happiness. But the height he has climbed is not one of pride in achievement, nor of the presumption of knowledge, says our psalm. But the height he has climbed is one of humility. Like the peaceful chimes of the bells at eventide, we hear the delicate tunes of humble trust. Because humble trust is the critical stage that we have now reached on our journey. And only now can rest and contentment replace the strive and the striving of his starting point. And only now has he calmed and quieted his soul. No longer the fretting or even the screaming child of hunger that we can hear all around us. I want, I need. But the contentment of the weaned child of enough, in verse 2. And so that is the lesson of the twelfth song of ascent. 
Do not try to take an other road than the one of humble trust, of hope in him, because only that one leads to contentment. And now approaching Jerusalem, the traveler reflects on how in history God established his presence with his people in Zion, a presence he soon hopes to reach and experience at the end of his journey. Psalm 132 is the longest of the songs of ascent, but we can dwell on it only briefly. Jerusalem, Zion, the city with the temple, with God's dwelling place on earth was David's city. And the pilgrims, still plural, now recall how the Lord in 2 Samuel 7 made a covenant with David. And you may remember how David wanted to build a house before the Lord, the temple, and how the Lord told him that he would build a house, an eternal dynasty for David. It's the covenant through which, on the one hand, the Lord would bring the Messiah, and on the other hand, establish the temple as God's dwelling place, his presence amongst his people. And the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem and Solomon's dedication prayer at the temple are referred to in the verses 6 to 9. And the pilgrims plead on the basis of this covenant for the Lord to keep it, so that when they come to Jerusalem, they will indeed find the Lord there. And throughout the psalm, in the verses 5, 7, 8, 13, 14, and 17, they keep on mentioning it as the Lord's dwelling place. And in his presence they anticipate to find peace, rest, and shalom that they were longing for, as it is described in verses 14 and 16. And the voice of prayer is here also the proclamation of hope. They are traveling on because, on the strength of God's reaching out in history, they are certain, they are confident, that they will find his presence at the end of the road. So the lesson of the third song of ascent is that the trust that they will find peace and rest at the end of their quest the pilgrims derive from pleading on the basis of God's promise and his covenantal reliability now the journey was never made alone and several times you already heard we and the unity of the community was always important already in Psalm 122. But now they approach their destination, and Zion becomes closer, and this unity now comes into focus. Psalm 133. And he preached on it not so long ago, so we can be very brief. The poem remains a poem, and polyvalent. Is the psalm a wish, a prayer, or an exhortation for desired unity? Or is it a celebration, an exclamation of delight because of existing experienced unity? Well, you decide based on your situation. But one thing is unambiguously clear. The good things are coming down. That language is used three times, not upward from here below. The unity of the brothers and the good, the life-giving, refreshing dew that would fall on Mount Hermon, and the pleasant, 
the fragrant oil possibly hinting at holiness and dedication to God, they all come from above. So that is the lesson of the 14th Song of Ascent. From Zion, the place of meeting God, the goal now nearly reached, the covenant Lord bestows his blessing, even life, forevermore. And then at the end of the journey, upon arrival at his temple, at the top of Mount Zion, in the presence of the Lord, there is then the concisest of conclusions and summaries in Psalm 134. Because the pilgrims, from the faraway, arid, and alien places of Mishech and Kidar in Psalm 120, from the strife of life, they have now reached their destination, Zion. And there they experienced the final promise, the blessing mentioned in the previous psalm. In this Psalm 134, there are no more references to the suffering in distress or to the quest for security. The key word is now bless. It's used three times, correctly translated with the Lord as object of praise. We praise him, he will bless us. And this goes on continuously. The nights in the text are plural. Now, many settings, liturgical or otherwise, have been proposed for the psalm, but it's impossible to be certain. The poem probably remains, probably deliberately so, wholly interpretable, so that the reader, you and me, may apply it to their own situation in life. But the final prayer and wish and benediction in verse 3 is addressed to the reader, to you in the singular. So you and I are given the blessing of the Lord, Yahweh, our covenant God, and of the sovereign creator of heaven and earth. He did symbolically reside at Zion. And now, since the Lord spoke to the Samaritan woman, the time has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. We no longer have to travel to a physical place. On your spiritual journey, you can meet him everywhere. And so is the lesson of the last of the 15th and last song of ascent, that we have come into the serenity, into the blessing, into the calmness, into the peace of the presence of the Lord. Now then, after this long and eventful journey into the presence of God in summary and in closing. When you are on your quest for Christian spirituality, your contentment in Christ, your rest in God, and when you are on your journey through life from the misery of Mishech to the joy of Jerusalem, then trace the steps of the pilgrimage of the Songs of Ascent, Read through them, meditate on them, compare them with your own experiences and challenges in life, and above all, let God speak to you through these songs into your heart. And then, as you travel, remember the four milestones on the way. The first one, the start in strife. That start was at Psalm 120, the first song. A start in the midst of distress and lying tongues, 
And that is where our journey starts, from the midst of the challenges, distractions, and adversities in the grind of life. And too long the psalmist had dwelled in Kider and Mishech, where he was surrounded by populous hating peace. And maybe too long we have had not enough time for and not enough focus on the journey to peace. But now, let the journey start. And then to the source of salvation. It took a while, well beyond the halfway of the pilgrimage in Psalm 130, before the pilgrim fully discovered the width, the height, the length, and the depth of God's love in the forgiveness of sin. Maybe he knew the theology of guilt, grace, and gratitude before, but in the psalm for sure he has made it his own experience and hope, and he sings of forgiveness, full redemption from all sins. And maybe the psalm is so well loved because it speaks of an intense emotional connection between the sinner calling from the depths and the Lord his soul is longing and waiting for, but waiting in the absolute certainty that the morning will come, no matter how dark the night. And in an eschatological vision, he sees the dawn in the future, and he travels towards the light at the end of the tunnel. And then the third milestone is the certainty of security and safety. Because already early on in the pilgrimage, in Psalm 121, there was the question, on the journey through life, from where is our security and safety? And in our society today, where everything changes at an increasing pace and not always for the good, who and what can you trust to watch over you and let your foot not slip? Political leaders, opinion gurus, experts, they appear as asleep as at the switch and as clueless as to the direction of travel as the rest of the population, if not more so. But the psalmist, in beautiful poetical language, leaves no uncertainty whatsoever, and he repeats it over and over again. The Lord helps. He will not let my foot slip. He watches over you twice. He watches over Israel, all of us. He watches over your life, your coming and your going, and he will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep you from harm. Ten times in this brief psalm in all. And so this singer of ascent assures us that safety and security on your journey through life, both now and forevermore, will be from the Lord. And then finally, the summit of praise and blessing. At the end of the journey in Psalm 134, the pilgrim has ascended towards and arrived at Jerusalem, at Zion, at the temple. And on our pilgrimage, we have come into the presence of God. And there the pilgrim has found what he was looking for, peace, safety, and serenity. And of the songs of ascent, the conclusion is, Praise the Lord, all his servants, day and night. And the final word is, may the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. 
And so, on your life's journey, may you travel with and travel towards God in heaven. Amen.